Welcome to the ministry of Barefoot Church. I'm Clay Neesmith, the pastor here at Barefoot Church. And man, we hope what you experience here today uh, will encourage you, motivate you, and inspire you in a great, great way. Today, everybody, I wanted to take some time to dive into God's Word and hopefully challenge us. And if I'm really being honest with myself, my hope in that challenge is that maybe it causes us to squirm a little bit. Uh, Because here's the reality for me. The longer my family and I are here, and the more of you that we get to know, the more that we fall in love with this place. And the more that we are so excited that God called our family to this church. Because I can honestly say, after serving here, after being a part of a life group, after hearing so many stories of what God is doing in the lives of the people here at this church, I can see that God is doing something amazing. Because the reality is, we have some amazing people here. And I'm not saying this right now to butter you all up, right? I know, you think this is a good play. Oh, Richard's trying to make us like him more. Um, That's not it. I mean, I want you to like me, but that's not it. The reason that I'm saying this is that I am really starting to recognize that God is trying to do something, right? And if God is doing something, what that usually means is that he is calling his people to a deeper walk with him. And if God is calling us to a deeper walk with him, that means that he's got some work in us to do, right? So many of you in here, you remember where you were when God started with you. And you know that that work that God did in your life, it wasn't always the easiest, right? Because in order for God to pull the claws of the world out of our lives, sometimes that meant dealing with past, dealing with sin, dealing with struggles that we were going through, dealing with pride and other issues. And there are times that when God wants to do a work in us, we're a little leery about that. But the reality is, the reason that God is wanting to do a work in us is because he's wanting to accomplish something that we cannot accomplish in our own strength, right? And again, I don't want to be a part of something that we can accomplish in our own strength, right? The reality is we have some talented, gifted people, not just up on stage, but in this audience today. We have some incredibly gifted people, and we can do a lot. If we set our minds to it, we can do a lot. But if it's just us doing what we do, the world doesn't get to see how great God is. If it's us just doing what we do in our own power, it's not a God-sized thing. right? We, we sang this song about God doing miracles, about God raising dry bones, about God opening grave doors. And, and, and we sit here and sing these songs and we love these songs, but when it comes to what God is doing in our lives, sometimes we think, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And so I'm here today to tell you that I want to be a part of something that is God-sized. I want to be a part of something that changes the world. Something that in order to accomplish, that we have to be challenged. That we have to be molded. And that we have to be shaped by God And being willing to say, you know what, God, I know that's probably going to hurt a little bit. I know I'm probably going to be squirming a little bit. 
But if there is anything in my heart that is keeping you from doing what you want to do to transform this world, I want to make that happen. And so I want to be challenging us to be able to think and and dream about something God-sized, something that if he wasn't involved, we would utterly fail, right? Anybody ever been like that where you just didn't even want to try something because you knew There's a good chance I'm not good enough to do this. But church, I think where God's calling us is to step out of the boat and onto the water where he's at because that's where we have been called to be. Because again, as we look out in this world right now, here's what I see. I see brokenness. I see distrust. I see anger, I see fear, I see hatred. I see a nation and a world that is fractured and crumbling right before our eyes. I see that the government's trying to fix it. I see that human movements are trying to fix it. I see that social media is trying to fix it. But the reality is the only person that can fix what is going on in our world today is God. And what we know is that God's chosen instrument to bring his hope to the world is the church. It is us sitting right here. If the world is going to heal from where it is now, from its division, from its brokenness, from its anger and its fear, it has to start here. It's not going to work from anywhere else. It has to start here in the church. And so what that tells me is we have to take this seriously. We can no longer get caught up in the chaos, the hate, the fear, the division that is destroying our world. And that's where I want to challenge us today. Are we ready to be the force of healing that God desires the church to be? Are we ready to make that sacrifice? Today, we're going to look at a couple places in the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip to Acts chapter 9 and chapter 10. Um, But before we get there, just kind of a little historical background. You see, in the book of Acts, what we find is the birth of the church. And at the very start of Acts is when Jesus ascends to heaven. And before he ascends to heaven, what he tells his disciples is that they are going to be his witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, all right? This was a global mission to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone, regardless of your nationality, regardless of where you lived, regardless of your background, regardless of your past. Jesus was out to change the world. And as we're going to see in in these two sections in Acts, Sometimes the greatest hindrance to God's great plan were the disciples. And I know it sounds weird, but like, let's step back a little bit. Most of these guys were idiots, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you can find scripture where it's, you know, Jesus, they say something, and I just picture Jesus looking at him going, what? What? And, and there were times in Acts, where God tells his disciples, go, and they say, no. There were plenty of times. And what stopped them was their fear, 
their hatred, it was their prejudice, it was their distrust. And what God had to do in his people was to challenge them in that. To get them to understand that it wasn't about what they saw, it was about what he was doing in people and in all people. And what we've what we need to understand is that as the church today, if we are going to accomplish a God-sized work, we need to be challenged in these things as well. These past few weeks, we've been talking about angles. I'm gonna get a little nerdy on you, okay? Because I really love geometry. Um, it was one of my it was one of my favorite maths that I that I took. But an angle defined, right? We've been talking about angles since Easter. An angle defined is two rays with a common endpoint that extend infinitely on a plane, all right? I know some of you are just like, this is lame. I hope this gets better, Pastor Richard. (laughs) The great thing about angles, theoretically, is that no matter how small of an angle you start with, if you allow that angle to run it will eventually encompass large, vast amounts of space. Now, the reason I share this is that because this ties in directly with what I want to talk about today. You see, the reality is the way that I perceive other people depends a lot on me. The way I perceive other people depends a lot on me, on my fear, on my hatred, on my prejudice and my distrust and my past experience. Sometimes the way I see someone could be defined as narrow-mindedness or being short-sighted. All right, no short jokes, Eddie. Where are you? He said one this morning before anybody got here. Really hurt my feelings. It didn't. And so what this means is that in my mind, I am viewing a person and their potential to be used by God with a very small angle, right? A very small angle. And as a human, this is where I'm limited, right? I, I cannot, I don't know what I'm even going to eat for lunch after church today, right? Much less be able to decide what God can do in somebody's life or not. But the great thing about God that we know about God is he has this bird's eye view. So God doesn't see just this. God sees this. God doesn't see who a person is. He sees who a person could become if they allow him to be in their lives, right? And if God has a plan for a person's life, a plan that will continue his kingdom-building global plan... Nothing can stop that. Not even me. Not even you. Not even us. No one can get in the way of that. So how can we make sure that we are not getting in God's way? How do we make sure that we trust what God can do in people and not what my narrow-minded, short-sighted understanding thinks? The answer to that question is we get challenged to see things not through our eyes, but through God's eyes. I wanna start today with a story. I was a youth pastor for 18 years and um, we would always do a big shindig when kids would move from sixth grade into junior high, the junior high ministry. 
And I remember there was one young man, his name was Andrew Small, we all called him Smalls, that when Andrew was moving from sixth grade to junior high, his Sunday school teachers all came to me and said, good luck with that one. He doesn't listen. He disrupts all the time. He doesn't want to be here. He's bouncing off walls. And they said, we don't know what to do with him. So Andrew Smalls gets up into junior high, and what do you know? He's disruptive. He doesn't listen. He's bouncing off walls and everything. Now, my junior hires, every year I would take them to a weekend in the inner city of L.A., And for those of you that don't know about the inner city of L.A., there's this area of it called Skid Row. And it is a place where tens of thousands of homeless people camp on the sidewalk. It is a place where all of the rescue missions in the city are held. Where people there, homeless people, can get a free meal every meal of the day. And as I got together and and put my group of junior hires together, lo and behold, what do you know? Small signs up. Okay, Andrew, you can go. So we get there. And, and let me preface with this. I had now been with him for about a year and a half. He'd been a year and a half. He hadn't changed in the, in the bit. And in that time, I prayed. Well, after I prayed, Lord, don't let me kill him. To <laughs> Lord, help me to see what you see in him. And so fast forward a year and a half later, we're on this inner city LA trip and we get there the first night and kids are bouncing off the walls. And, you know, maybe you were a kid like Smalls where like everyone else's energy is like here, yours is here. And so he's not bouncing on walls, he's bouncing through walls, right? And so we get ready that night and we're going to go into inner city LA and our first night is just basically going to be spent walking around um, in teams, and, and talking with people and praying for people. And so anyway, me being the leader, Buck stops here. Smalls, you're coming with me, man, because I just can't trust you with anybody else. <laughs> and so towards the end of this night, we are gathered back all together, and we run into this homeless man, and he starts sharing his story, and we're listening, we're talking to him, and at the end of this conversation, we bought him some food, and I said, hey, does anybody want to pray for this man? And what do you know? Whose hand do you think went up? Smalls is sitting there. And I'm like, oh, Lord. <sighs> All right, Smalls, go ahead. You guys, the prayer that came out of this boy's mouth made angels cry. And he ended, and everyone was quiet. And everyone's kind of looking at each other. And I said, son, that was, that was incredible. And the reason I tell you this story is, first off, I love this kid. I still talk to him. And I call him a kid. He's 27 years old now. And I love him to death. But the other reason that I tell this is because if I had been like everyone else and written Smalls off, I wouldn't have never gotten to see the amazing heart that God gave this young man and this heart that he was grooming in this young man. 
See, again, oftentimes I look at someone and my experience and my fears and my prejudices are projected onto them. And I can quickly write off any idea that God can use them or change them. I am guilty of that because I'm human. And the reason this is so important for us to talk about is because this world is broken and divided. Groups of people are writing off other groups of people simply because they don't agree with them. And it's getting worse. And again, if anything is going to change this world, it has to be the church. It has to start with us right here. So we have to be willing to ask ourselves, are we going to admit that sometimes we're human, we're short-sighted, our limited understanding can't comprehend what God is always doing, and are we willing to believe, like the songs that we sing, that God can do miracles in people we least expect? We have to ask ourselves that. Because the reality is God's done it before. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16, Pastor Clay mentioned this. This is the conversion of Saul. And I love this story. But before we dive in, a little bit about Saul. Saul was born a Pharisee. Right? And, and Saul, uh, he was going around and he had letters from the chief priests and he was being tasked to carry Christians into jail in Jerusalem. The first time we see Saul is at the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And see, in the Jewish society, in order to have a, a, a stoning be legal, because that's how they killed Stephen, they have to have somebody of the religious leaders give approval for what is about to happen. And so what we see is that at the death of Stephen, all of the people who are going to participate in chucking rocks at this guy until he dies, lay their cloaks at the feet of a young man. That young man is named Saul. And basically what we see is that it is them saying, Saul, you are here to witness that we are doing this legally. You are here to give authorization for us to kill this man. This is who Saul was. And we know the story on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him. He goes blind. And while Saul is waiting in, uh, in uh, Damascus, sorry, man, I brain fart. Um, <laughs> God goes to a disciple of his named Ananias. And he says this. This is Acts 9, verses 10 through 16. The Lord called to Ananias in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports of this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much, how much he must suffer for my name. See, the reason I love this story is we oftentimes, we love Paul. I love Paul. The work that he did, how God used him. But we don't really know Saul. See, Ananias knew Saul, and Saul was trained as a Pharisee. At one point, as he was talking about his past, Paul says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
You see, Saul was never afraid to tell you how great he was. Saul was never afraid to let you know when you were wrong and he was right. Saul was not afraid to go kill anyone because they believed in Jesus. Saul was the man who felt righteous and justified in persecuting the early church. And so when God tells Ananias to go pray for Saul, Ananias says, no, no, no. And you know what? Most of us might, too, might as well. There's probably many of us in here who'd be like, nope. See, it was Ananias' fear of Saul and his hatred for the murder and violence he had caused that kept him from seeing what God was doing. And look at our world today. Do we have groups that are afraid of other groups? Do we have groups we hate because of the murder and violence that they have caused? Starting to squirm? Maybe. Next, I want to look at Acts 10, 27 through 29. Remember, Jesus had told his disciples, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. This goes for everyone, guys. We're, we're, we're taking it out to the world. But at this point, what we find in Acts is that the disciples had only shared the good news of Jesus Christ with Jews or Jewish converts. In Acts 10, we come across a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He is a God-fearer, meaning that he worships and, and believes in the God of Israel. He gives money to help the synagogue. He helps the poor. He is a righteous man. As Cornelius is praying, an angel tells him, Cornelius, go send some guys and bring to your house a man named Peter. And he tells him exactly where Peter's gonna be. Peter, in the meantime, is up on a roof and he's praying. And in the midst of his prayer, he has a vision of a tablecloth coming down from heaven. And what the Bible says is this tablecloth is filled with all different kinds of foods and animals that Jewish people saw as unclean. And a voice tells him, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Peter's response is, no, nothing impure has ever crossed my lips. And this voice says, Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. As Peter is thinking about this vision, the men from Cornelius come and the spirit tells Peter, he says, hey, don't be afraid to go with these guys. I've got a plan. So Peter goes. As he enters Cornelius' house, this is where we pick it up in Acts 10. Peter walks into Cornelius' house and this is what he says, Acts 10, 27 through 29. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? So courtesy 101, manners 101, if you're going into somebody's house, don't say that, all right? Think of some other way to say it, um, but you know, it got its point across. So anyway, Cornelius tells Peter what has happened. His vision of how an angel sent Cornelius to find Peter and that Peter was just supposed to come. Cornelius didn't know what Peter was going to say. And so Peter hears this story, and this is what he says later on in that same chapter. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
And so Peter then begins to proceed to tell Cornelius and his family and all those gathered about Jesus. As Peter is preaching, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit enters the place and you know good things are going to happen, right? So the Holy Spirit shows up and this is what it said. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So as we look at this story, what I want us to understand is that God had a plan for the ends of the earth and he meant it. And his disciples just were not getting it. They weren't understanding And because of their prejudice and distrust of Gentiles, his disciples were believing that God couldn't use someone because of their race. You see, my narrow angle of vision sometimes has a hard time seeing what could be. And when emotions like fear, anger, hate, and shame get involved, and then you pile on top of that things like pride or judgment... At that point, there's no chance of me seeing what God's doing because I can barely see beyond the nose on my face. And so church, this is what is happening in our world. This is what we need to stand against in our world today. This is what we see when we turn on the news every single day. And this is what so many Christians are falling into. Let me ask you this. Okay, here comes the squirmy part. God came to you and said, there's a white supremacist down the street that I've chosen to carry my good news to the world. I need you to go pray for him. I don't know. I don't know. We sing about dry bones rattling, but God, I don't know. I don't know. We sing about you being able to change anybody, but I don't know. How about this? There's a Black Lives Matter protester next door. I've come into her life and she is my chosen instrument for the world. I need you to go pray for her. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Man, come on. We can sing all day about God doing miracles, about there's nothing that God can't do, but there's so many times in our life where I am refusing to love somebody because they don't agree with me. I'm not saying do what they do. I'm not saying to condone the violence that they do, but if God comes in and has a plan for their life, I better not stand in the way of that. Church, do we believe that God can do this? In Acts, God tells his disciples to go. It's a command. This is not a time in our world right now where we need to hunker down in the safe confines of the church. It's not that time. This is a time for us to get on our knees and pray. This is a time for us to stand up and be the church. This is a time for us to love, to cure, to heal, and to share the hope that is within us. Why? 
Because it's what Jesus did. And if I'm not doing what Jesus did, can I call myself a follower of Jesus? Oh, it hurts. I want to read this. It's a few scriptures come from the mouth of our Lord. Luke chapter 4. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah as it was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me ask you this. If I have Jesus in my heart, am I blind? What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that I came for the people who don't even acknowledge that I am who I said I am. I came so that they would see and believe. I came to open their eyes. It's what he did. We were blind once and now we see. In Luke 5, he says this. This is when he was arguing with Pharisees. Why? Because Jesus was partying with sinners like he did. Right? Why do you party with sinners, Jesus? It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You guys, this world is filled with brokenness, hate, sin, evil, fear, prejudice. It's sin. Jesus came to die for that. We have been called to do what Jesus does. Plain and simple. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? Not the Christians. Not the righteous. The ungodly. You turn on the news. What do we say? Man, those people are going to hell. (laughs) Guess what that makes them? Ungodly. Jesus died for them. They are powerless. They need to hear the power that you have. They need to hear that. I have a friend. His name's Doug. Doug and I get together every other week, and we walk and talk about life and faith and world events. Now, the thing is, my friend Doug, he's brilliant, right? He knows his Bible. He has taught several classes on the end times. And like many of us, when Doug looks out at the world he gets a little worried and he gets a little afraid to the point where that fear and that worry was starting to affect his day-to-day relationships. And when I talked to Doug and I said, Doug, how did you handle that? How did you get your mind around that? How did you change that? He said, Richard, I had to change my perspective. I had to go from being an active participant in what was going on in the world to a concerned bystander. From an active participant to a concerned bystander. And I thought about that this week and it hit me. There are so many of us who are angry and upset and feeling divided because we are being active participants in what is going on in the world. And if I'm being honest, if we're being honest, 
we're probably more concerned spectators when it comes to the things of God. Chaos, anger, prejudice are like black holes. When we allow ourselves to be influenced by them, it is hard to escape. And the more that they come into our lives, the stronger the pull is. The only thing that can overcome chaos, anger, prejudice, and all of it is God. The only thing. That's it. So instead, we need to flip things. And I need to be an active participant in the things of the kingdom of God. And I need to be a concerned spectator of the things of the world. Because what that does, what that's going to do, is that it's going to cause me to focus on what God is doing and not what the world is doing. And when something in the world concerns me, I am going to get on my knees and pray about it because I know the power of my prayer is greater than the hate that is in the world. And when I see someone who disagrees with me, I'm going to understand that Christ died for that person and I used to be like that person. And instead of hating them, I'm going to love them. Because I never know when God is going to raise up the next Paul. I can't see that. God can. So, church, the other day I read a quote from Billy Graham, right? Oh, now we can perk up. Billy Graham. Yeah. Carolina boy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He said this, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. God's job to judge, and my job to love. I want to close with this story. It's actually the reason I'm wearing a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt today. Some of you probably saw it and be like, man, a pastor is preaching in a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt. How many of you guys thought that? Come on, be honest. Yeah! Yeah! Squirming! Squirming! If you guys don't know who the Wu-Tang Clan is, suffice it to say, they're not a Christian band. (laughs) When I was pastor at Church of California, we had a handful of college kids. So many times they would say, Richard, I just want my friends to come here. I want them to hear God's word. I want them to, to be at this church. And I mean, I saw some crazy people, you guys. I mean, California's crazy enough, but it's like they got attracted. I was like a light to the moths. And this one young couple brought their friend, and I'm like, hey, man, what are you about? And he was like, well, I classify myself as a non-binary vampire. <laughs> Southern California. I looked at him, and I go, so are you talking Bram Stoker vampire or Anne Rice vampire? You guys, his eyes lit up, and he got this big old smile on his face. He's like, you know the difference? And I'm like, man, I wasn't born a pastor. Like, you have to always remind people, right? Sometimes they'll cuss in front of you, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. So anyway, I had this other other college, um, these these people, and they're like, Richard, we got a friend named Jacob, and we just keep trying to get him to church, and he doesn't want to go. He grew up in the foster care system. He was abused. He was neglected. He's just had a hard life. And so finally, one week, I get a call before church, and they're like, he's coming, he's coming. And so I see in the distance this guy walking up. He's tall and skinny, kind of like Cole, Um, except he wasn't like Cole. 
because he was covered in tattoos and he had big hoop earrings, about an inch wide in his ears and he was wearing a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt. And I went up to him like, hey, are you Jacob? And he goes, yeah. And you guys, I know the type, right? And maybe you've been this type where, you know, your friends kind of get you to go to church and you're sitting there thinking like, well, if I'm going to church, I'm going to go with both my middle fingers raised high in the air and I dare somebody to say something to me. And so I said, man, I love the Wu-Tang Clan. And again, like jaw drops to the foot. You know the Wu-Tang Clan? Yes, I wasn't always a pastor. And if I'm being honest, there's still times where I listen to the Wu-Tang Clan. And I said, man, I'm so glad to meet you. And I grabbed him around the waist and I picked him up and hugged him. This was before COVID when you could hug people still. And I said, man, I'm so glad you were here. Well, week after week, Jacob kept coming. And one night, I remember I was doing an invitation just invite people to accept Christ in their life. And I look over and Jacob's got his hand up and he's got tears streaming down his face. And I go over afterwards and we're talking and he's crying and he's just sharing what's gone on in his life. And you guys, so many people had written this man off. And so slowly but surely he continued to come. And I'll tell you guys, like it wasn't soon after where instead of me hugging him, he would run in and grab me and pick me up and say, Richard, I'm so glad that I'm here. I missed you so much. And a couple times he actually gave me a kiss on the cheek, which was pretty awesome. But then one day I get a call, Richard, there's been a car accident. Just something happened. Car hit something on the road, flipped over. Jacob died. He's like 23. And I met with his uh, cousin, who was the closest family he had, and I was telling her about how I met Jacob and what God was doing in Jacob's life. And I told her about the Wu Tang Clan T-shirt, and she started laughing. She goes, "Man, that's so Jacob." And uh, day of the funeral, I got a shirt and tie on, and before she comes up, she hands me a plastic bag. <sighs> I cried last time too, and she said, "I think he'd want you to have this." And it was this shirt. He was taller than I was, so it's a little bad game. But if I stand here, I look buff. Okay. And so I went in, and I, I put it underneath my shirt and tie. And I got to do, this church was filled, you guys, with people who had grown up in the foster care system, people that the world had written off. They had been abused. They had been forgotten. They had been neglected. And I don't think they'd ever really been in church their whole lives and I got to share the story of Jacob and how God had transformed his life. And at the end of it, I did a, an altar call and, and you guys, handfuls of them raised their hand to receive Christ because they heard about what God did in this young man who everyone else had written off, everyone else had forgotten. Man, I tell you guys, this world needs us. doing something and he's going to start it here and we got to go out in this world because there's people like Jacob who everyone's written off and nobody else cares about and all they need is for somebody to acknowledge you know what you're not broken you know what you're not beyond hope you know what God's not giving up on you this world needs the church to grab it around the waist pick it up and I'm so glad that you're here 
It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's my job to love. Church, let's go out and do our job. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now. And man, this world is broken. And man, I don't know what to do about it. And man, it just seems so overwhelming. But God, in your word, what you say is that it begins with us. And I want to start today because I, I know that there are some people in here. You know what? The, the, sometimes the, the greatest hindrance, the ones who don't believe in what God can do in their lives is, is them. There are people sitting out there right now and you have the narrowest view of what God can do in your life. And so today, if you need God to come into your life, if you have heard those words that you are not forgotten, I wanna invite you to raise your hand because I wanna pray for you. This is when God says you are not alone and you matter. Amen. And for the rest of us, God, as we sit here, and Lord, it's not a bad thing to be convicted. It's not a bad thing to squirm a little bit because of your word, because that means, Lord God, that you're not done working in us. And Lord, we know that now the world needs the church. We know that now more than ever, the world needs to be healed. And the only people who are going to be able to do that is us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to cast aside our fears, our experiences, our prejudices, our doubts, and that we would trust not what our eyes see in this world, but what you are doing in this world. Help us to see things from your perspective, God. Help us to trust that you are still the miracle worker that you promised to be. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged, motivated, and inspired today by the message. And again, man, we believe in you. We believe great things for you. It's because of many people's faithful giving that we're able to go out around the world. If you choose to invest in Barefoot Church, just go on over to barefootchurch.com. You can give there. But go out, live your purpose, and be inspired in a great, great way.